Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And today, we are dangerously likely to default. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. So Terrell, let's start off with some climate news. So China has has just announced that it will no longer build coal-fired power plants overseas at the United Nations General Assembly. China's President Xi Jinping stated that, quote, China will step up support for other developing countries in developing green and low-carbon energy and will not build new coal-fired power projects abroad, end quote. To put this in context, China is the largest emitter of greenhouse gases in the world, and it is the biggest producer of coal. And that's just by itself. It is also the largest investor of coal power plants abroad, which makes this quite a big deal. So Terrell, assuming that China is not misleading us, uh, how big of a deal is this? Well, Caleb, um, I'm always a pessimist in this situation, but I'll say I'll believe it when I see it. Um, There's actually a really interesting soundbite from the UN this week where Greta Thunberg essentially just called out the international community of, we say climate neutral, blah, blah, blah. We say no greenhouse emissions, blah, blah, blah. Where's the action? And I think this is another great example um, of China saying the things that need to be said and, and saying that they're going to move there. But what happens when that action actually occurs? Also, I would be remiss not to say like, China's kind of in somewhat of a financial crunch right now. So could they have even done offshore coal burning plants right now with the housing crisis that they're currently experiencing? Maybe not because they're infusing a lot of money into their economy and it's causing different issues. So I feel like there could be more to the story for why they're not uh, moving forward. But I would 100% say I'll believe it when I see it. Just like I don't think the U.S. is going to make as many leaps and bounds as it claims it will. Well, you know, I'm I'm kind of with you there. You know, I'll believe it when I see it. I think, you know, I kind of like, I don't know. China's a weird place because China, you can stop. Like they can they can be serious about the the doing the coal mm-hmm. stopping the coal building the coal plants um, abroad, but within their own country they're not stopping, and yep. they are the largest emitter of greenhouse gases. So I mean, we all need to make drastic changes with how we get our energy and lots of other things too to save the planet that we're on, uh, which is actually really just saving us. But um, China is one of the biggest culprits of this and Mm -hmm. their their drastic change will have to be bigger than ours um so yeah i don't know we'll see what happens i I, i'm hopeful but you know we'll we'll just have to see what happens i appreciate you saying save our planet even though we have billionaires flying up to the moon and mars as if they're already planning to leave but that's a story for another time i mean i mean what's at risk is us and life but the planet itself will be here at the end of it if we go through with destroying it true (laughs) um anyways uh moving on over to arizona this is a just a quick little thing the election audit in maricopa county in arizona which many have called a sham due to the extremely right-wing lawmakers and groups conducting it has confirmed (laughs) that biden won the county in the 2020 election terrell by more votes than he won (laughs) on election night i would like to add to the statement not only did Joe Biden get more votes, but Trump also lost more votes. 
I think he lost 208 votes. I was going to ask for your reaction, and it was perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. I think he lost 208 votes, and Joe Biden gained 98. Like, who really committed the fraud here, GOP? Um, oh! Just like... <laughs> we live in the dumbest era of human history. That's yeah. Yeah. what I stand at. And that's going against the Neanderthals, which says a lot. <laughs> They invented fire by mistake. I feel like saying we're dumber than that says something. (laughs) Uh, To something a little bit more fun. Um, The James Webb telescope is slated to launch in December of 2021, and it will be 100 times more powerful than the Hubble Space Telescope. The Webb telescope will be better than the Hubble in a few ways. First, scientists believe they will be able to see the edges of the observable universe with the Webb telescope, which is super fascinating to me. I can confirm interstellar now. I know, right? (laughs) Astronomers will also be able to look back in time and see the first stars and galaxies of the universe. And basically, if you're wondering, how does that work? (laughs) I see Terrell over there going, what? But then I'm like, Uh, oh yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) So this is kind of how it works. The Hubble telescope could see light dating back to about 400 million years after the Big Bang, which that that same light took takes about 13 billion years to get to earth mm-hmm. which is weird to think about the web telescope will actually be able to see light dating back to 250 million years after the big bang so that's 150 million uh farther back into the past which is wild the other thing is that the web um is mostly an infrared telescope mm-hmm. infrared light is also older light as you get farther away from the light or as the light has to travel farther, it stretches out and becomes more red Mm -hmm. um, infrared light. That's kind of where it comes from. Uh, The Hubble was the Hubble is not super infrared. It does some infrared, but not a ton. Um, So this is going to be a significant improvement on what we can see and how far we can go. Um, And lastly, it can also give more clues as to which planets have signs of life, which is insane just by looking at things. Yeah, I feel like we're going to find out if Interstellar is, actually holds up or if there were some... <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> traditionally, I would say something about going around the world, but Caleb kind of stole some of that thunder. And I um, went into space, so take that. <laughs> fair. You went past the world. Beyond the world. <laughs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> but one major story is coming out of Germany right now that I think is worth our commentary, Caleb. Um, As reported by the New York Times, the Socialist Democratic Party was projected late Sunday to have a narrow majority over Merkel's Christian Democratic Union, winning about 25.7% of the vote share, making this a transformable shift for um, the largest economy in Europe and the country that has really been leading the charge when it comes to the European Union and this Eurocentric ideology, um, especially after Angela Merkel led the country for 16 plus years. She held her former seat that um, actually switched parties this election for 30 plus years. Um, there's just so many implications, right? But all implications come with a little bit of drama. Very similar mm-hmm. to this, the um, play out that we saw in Israel Um, Germany's parliamentary system functions in a similar way. Since neither of the major parties, the Christian um, Democratic Union or the Social Democratic Party, were able to break really 30%. It's kind of a good threshold to have a a big enough majority that your coalition's easier to put together. Um, Since neither of them broke that, 
now the parties have to go into coalition building before they can pick the next chancellor, which means um, Angela Merkel is still chancellor pending the her predecessor really being tapped. Um, what makes this so interesting, however, is traditionally the leading party would connect with and reach out to other parties and start building that coalition. So the FDP leader, Christian Linden, um, announced that there were going to be talks with the Green Party to build a more progressive centralist um, coalition before even having conversations with the SDP or the CDU, which just brings up even more uncertainty or concerns, especially after the CDU, which is the party that Angela Merkel um, belongs to, really started focusing more on green energy and be more climate-centered. So all that to say... Wanting some of your immediate um, reactions, Caleb, what does this mean for Europe? Are we about to witness the chaos that we saw in Israel? Kind of what are you thinking? Uh, I don't know. I think it's noteworthy that that this will be like the first time in like forever that Germany will the whoever the chancellor is is going to be backed by three parties mm-hmm. um, out of like the four that were really jockeying for power. And I also find it interesting that like, the social Democrats didn't like win by a ton, but they, but they still like did enough to like become a major power in the, in the system of whoever in the coalition system, basically. They outperformed on so many matrix. I would argue that the actual heir to Angela Merkel did win the election and that this party has become more of who she is than just understanding that she is a part of the CDU. So if you the CDU is a little bit more of the conservative side versus the social Democrats. Um, and if you look at how Angela Merkel has governed, she shifted a lot in understanding what the global economic structure looks like and understanding what's necessary um, for Germany to be a power in the on the world stage. She shifted a little bit closer, in my opinion, to the CDP. And seeing them win the way they did, I think, reinforces that view that she did a good job. She just didn't have the right heir apparent, if you will, as Armand um, Lasich, the the projected leader for the CDU, um, has already refused to concede and said that he'll also be exploring um, chancellery uh, negotiations and coalitions. That's in- yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this coalition shakes up. And I don't know how dramatic it's going to be in Germany because Israel's been facing stuff like this for like, Ever? oh my God, <laughs> forever. They've had like four or five elections in the last, like what, two or three years? Yeah. That's exhausting. I couldn't even imagine that happening in the US. I mean, I could if we had that system, but I can't right now because I mean, we don't. We're kind of close. Like how many times has Joe Biden technically won the election at this point? <laughs> Oh God. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if it's going to be that dramatic, yeah. but I guess we'll have to see. Germany is still like basically the power of Europe and I don't really see that changing, changing, yeah. but I don't know. It was, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Like, we're just going to have to wait and see, I guess. Some other cool takeaways from the night. Um, for the first time in 784 years, Berlin will be um, ran by a female um, they elected Damn. their first female mayor in the entire history of the city. 
Additionally, um, oh, 784 is the entire history. Yeah. I was like, wow, they had a woman 800 years ago. <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> yeah, since what was it? Eight. I thought you were way more progressive than I thought, Berlin. Nope. No. I mean, if we're being honest, <laughs> no. what other country would beat them? Um, <laughs> but also, two trans women won seats in the parliament. And like I mentioned earlier, Angela Merkel's seat in the northwest region of Germany actually flipped to the CDP um, for the, the first time. Nice. CDP. Damn. I wonder what Angela Merkel is thinking about tonight or when it happened. Her retirement? I wonder if she's happy, but I wonder if she's upset. Hmm. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe she's just done with it, you know? Honestly, like my whole life growing up, it's been Angela Merkel who has been Germany's leader. And I really want to visit Germany and whatnot. And yeah. my family's actually, a lot of my family from my mom's side is actually from Germany. And I, um, I don't know. It's weird. I need, I need to follow it more than I do, but it's interesting. It's interesting. And we'll be right back. And we're back. So, Caleb, there's like a small major story that's kind of... Small major? That doesn't really go together. Yeah, well, (laughs) it's kind of pervading through media circles right now. It's weighing very heavily in Washington, D.C. And actually, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans made a decisive move yesterday to collectively block legislation that was intended to not only avoid a government shutdown, but lift the U.S. debt ceiling so that we don't default on our loans. Um, this isn't the first time we've been in this situation. It, it really kind of mushroomed under um, President Barack Obama when the Republicans wanted the White House to defund the um, Affordable Care Act or else they were going to force us into a default. And we made it right up to like the last possible hour to raise the debt ceiling. And we saw the markets respond incredibly negatively. Um, But I want to pose it not so much in just telling the story and reiterating everything we we do, but really, what if we default? What does that mean for the country? What does that mean for us as individuals? You have people getting child tax care credits right now that would ultimately stop. We have our servicemen and women who will lose paychecks and coverage, Medicare, Medicaid, all the things. So what if, Caleb, the U.S. government fails to raise the debt ceiling before our target date, which um, Secretary Yellen just mentioned, I think it's October 15th. So October 16th comes, Congress fails to pass anything, and the U.S., after using up all of his extraordinary measures, default. Now what? I mean, are we surprised that we're in a situation like this again? No. Um, (laughs) Like, I'm going to go into a quick rundown of, like, what exactly is the debt limit slash ceiling. Um, But before I do that, I just want to say that I I am actually, like, kind of intrigued that Mitch McConnell is just, like, not asking for concessions or anything. He's just saying, nope, this is a Democrat's problem. Republicans will not be part of it because you're about to spend money. And, like... That is not to me the worst strategy I've ever seen from him. I feel like it's the worst. I mean, we can dive into this a little bit more. The politics set aside, like, I, that's a very simple way of saying we're not the ones spending money, so you got to deal with it. But, like, 
the Democrats voted with you not even two years ago <laughs> to raise the debt ceiling for your overhaul of the tax code that Look, brought us to the situation we're in right now. Like that's it, another piece that's left out. The reason we're so close is not because of Joe Biden. It's because of the Trump tax credit that raised the fucking debt by $8 trillion. And there was no, mm, anyway. No, 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 no. I a hundred percent agree with you. I just think that like, it's very easy for Republicans to be like, yeah, we're not spending money to yeah. everybody. And everybody's going to be like, oh, so Democrats are about to let the whole world econo- economy crash. Like, I think it's like that easy for them. And that's what frustrates me about messaging between Democrats versus Republicans. Fair. But um, <laughs> of course, it's not that simple, but mm-hmm. Republicans make it simple and then everyone, yeah, it's stupid. But they just lie well. Yeah, they're really good at misleading things like that. Anyways, um, <laughs> okay, quick rundown. Debt, debt, debt limit, um, debt ceiling, same thing. The debt limit is the max amount of the... At max amount the U.S. Treasury can borrow to pay its bills. Congress is the only institution that can change the debt limit. The reason why the Treasury needs to borrow money to pay its bills is because the U.S. runs budget deficits. All the bum, time. Bum, bum. It spends more than it brings in. If you are thinking that raising the debt limit means the U.S. government can spend more money on new things, then you would be wrong. It doesn't authorize any new spending. It just means we can pay our bills. Yep. The U.S. Treasury has a few ways it can pay for its bills after the debt limit is reached. The reason I bring that up is because the debt limit was actually reached back in July. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why it wasn't Joe Biden's fault, just to, again, clarify that point. (laughs) And the Treasury is currently using something called, quote, extraordinary measures, unquote, which are accounting tricks, basically, that can be used for a brief period of time if the debt limit isn't raised right away. Of course... That doesn't work forever, and we're nearing the time when the Treasury is signaling that they will be out of money. If the debt limit is reached, the U.S. will not be able to meet its financial obligations, a.k.a. pay its bills. It's also notable that there are, there's only two countries that actually have debt, debt limits in the world, and that's Denmark mm-hmm. and Poland. Poland's is tied to their GDP. It's something like you 30%. can't have, I think it's 60. Is you it can't 60? have more than 60% of your GDP be debt. Ours is more, by the way, um, than 100%. Um, and Denmark's debt ceiling uh, is actually so high that it almost doesn't matter. Yeah, they don't like, even have to care about it, which <laughs> yeah. I think is hilarious. Yeah, I this there's a lot of interesting things. Why that we're we going to talk about? Just do that before I don't know, but I digress. I, I don't know either. Um, interestingly enough, though, the debt limit has historically been a non-issue. It was really created so that the U.S. Treasury didn't need to ask Congress for permission every time it needed to issue bonds to pay the bills, because mm-hmm. that's what it does. Uh, you can invest in um, Treasury securities. The first debt limit was part of the Second Liberty Bond Act of 1917. Our polarization of our politics is mostly why the debt limit has so much drama surrounding it today. And that's why all the Republicans, as we just talked about in Congress, basically voted against it. They want to hurt the Democrats. (laughs) You're not wrong. So then we kind of get to the question, what would happen if the debt limit was not raised and the U.S. actually did default on its debt? Well... That's kind of an interesting question because no one actually knows. But the conventional wisdom is that it would be a huge economic catastrophe and would plunge the world into a massive economic depression. Mm -hmm. Since the U.S. could not pay its bills, it would no longer be a safe place to invest. For context, U.S. treasuries are seen as the safest investments in the world. Triple A plus. There's something in finance called the risk-free rate, and there's always a rate attached to a security about how much like risk that you are 
like the rate of risk basically Mm -hmm. that you are um, um, taking on if you invest in a certain security or whatnot, the risk-free rate is almost always the U.S. Treasury rate, meaning there is no risk in U.S. Treasuries. That's that's how we as investors in the world sees the U.S. Um, But in turn, uh, interest rates around the world uh, would spike if we defaulted, making everything more expensive. And that's basically because everyone would see um, U.S. Treasuries as more risky, not risk-free. Countries that have a large stake in U.S. Treasuries would suddenly see their very safe investments uh, turn very risky, things like that. Um, Actually, there is kind of an instance where the U.S. defaulted. In 1979, the U.S. defaulted on $122 million out of $800 billion, mostly because of a word processing error from the Treasury. It seems really small, but that error led to an increase in the interest rate of about 0.6% at the time that was $6 billion a year to our debt. Think about that spread across $28.4 trillion. That's a shit ton. Like if we, if, if we can learn anything from that small little hiccup, um, that's bad. (laughs) But I mean, you don't even have to look back that far, right? You can look at all the times we've come close in our more modern history, 2011, for the first time in history, the U.S. had its um, credit rating downgraded oh, yeah. because it got so close to the debt ceiling um, timeline that one of our creditors felt we were no longer a safe investment and downgraded. Granted, we're still a, we were still a triple A at the time, but downgraded us to a triple A, which peaked a bunch of interest rates and also sent an already shaky economy into a little bit more of uncharted territory because the stock markets had a small crash for, I think, two weeks then. I vaguely remember this as a child. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that too. I, it's very interesting because like the stock market and all of these markets that like individually we can invest or we can have mm-hmm. someone do it for us or we can enter different funds and stuff. Like the market is based off our perceptions and yeah. only our perceptions. And like the treasury is no exception from that lots of exception words um (laughs) (laughs) like so if i as an investor really thought that the u.s treasury is going to default on its loans because congress can't work together then i would deem u.s treasury notes and securities as risky and i wouldn't want to put my investment in there now one person isn't going to affect the rate but if many people think that that interest rate's going up and that's <laughs> bad. <laughs> but like, even when stuff like that happens, like, yeah, there might be some market fluctuations and it's like, oh, well, this is pretty serious for a second. Like many people still don't think it'll actually happen because yeah. we've been in this situation so many times and investors don't have a perception that we're actually going to default on our loans. Plus, we don't actually know what happens. It's just sounds bad when we if we do. And it probably will be, but we don't know exactly what that means. Touching back on the point that you started with around the McConnell strategy, I know for me personally, this moment feels different, but to you, does it feel like there might be more of a chance than normal? I'm going to say no, and that's my investor perception right there. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I mean, I don't know what this is going to mean for like reconciliation and stuff because we know Democrats can just do it and they just should. I don't know. I, yeah, like, I, like I understand that. that they want the bipartisanship and I genuinely do not know if their strategy here is just to get the Republicans to say no and then try to turn that into a message or something. 
I don't know. It's we're a year out from the main election season. I don't think that's going to work. I don't know why they don't just do it. What they they've already passed kind of a budget framework, so they're going to have to go back and they're going to have to amend it. And yep. with 50-50 Senate, that might be kind of weird. And I don't know what the reconciliation, if it's going to affect it at all. I don't know what the effect of that would be. But I think it's going to happen. I, you know, I don't think it's not going to happen. I'm, I'm not really worried about it. But I guess if it's like the deadline day and it doesn't, it hasn't happened yet, then I'll be a bit worried. That's what happened in 1979. Yeah. It was an 11th hour budget deal. And they were in rushing. the last second, yeah, there yeah. was a little bit of an error. We still paid that $122 million, by the way, <laughs> just so everybody just knows. Just to be clear. <laughs> okay, well, here's a scenario. We get to the to X date. Um, does the White House, i.e. President Joe Biden, go it alone? Oh, you're segueing for me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm kind of going off right now. This stuff is really... I, I just went into like a whirlwind of research. It's really These are your numbers. Like, this is your thing. So it's kind of like, like I said earlier, the Democrats can remove the debt limit from or through budget reconciliation. They have a majority. I, but there's issue. They don't want to. And there's issues with the reconciliation bill right now. Like it currently will not pass the Senate if it was brought to the floor today. Oh, I mean, just removing the debt limit specifically, I don't think will happen. I'm, if they were to put in their current reconciliation bill and just throw the debt ceiling in there, which is obviously their best option. It would not pass, even knowing that it's a ticking time bomb because there are enough Democrats who are like, this is too much money for us to just unilaterally approve. So yeah. It goes that back is a problem too. That's how much I'm like a little bit wondering if this is really going to affect the reconciliation bill as a whole or not. Yeah. I'm a little bit nervous about that. Because they could just pass it as a standalone through reconciliation too, can't they? Yeah, but you only get one more reconciliation for the year. Yeah, and I feel like this is a good enough reason to pull trade on the one last one. I mean, it might be, but like, it also might be the last opportunity for big climate change stuff to happen, human infrastructure, things like that. I don't know. I don't know. It's that's a lot. Anyhow, <laughs> but um, will the president go it alone? <laughs> will he go it alone? Um, yeah, Democrats probably won't remove the debt limit. Just to be clear on that. Um, yeah. If anything, they will probably raise it and we'll be back in a similar situation in a few years from now. Um, but Specifically midterms. If President Biden really wanted to do something about this, he does actually have some options here. Remember, only Congress can raise the debt limit, but the president can do a few things like mint crazy high-valued coins to fund the government. If you've heard of the trillion-dollar coin, this is it. The Treasury can actually do this, which is insane to me. They have a weird law where if you mint like a platinum coin, the Treasury Secretary can make it worth any amount of money. Yeah. So you can make a trillion-dollar coin, and then the Federal Reserve Chair um, at the time, who right now it's Jerome Powell, he has to... Uh, accept it. He's legally required to accept what, the kind of money the treasury gives him. So he would have to accept a trillion dollar bill and then we'd be funded. Yeah. You know, so bizarre. it's so, it's funny. I kind of would, super I would be happier if that happened, honestly, I like it would cause a lot of investment issues, but I would be happier if that was the option. Cause it'd just be fun to watch. It, it would. It's so funny that it's not, it's almost not serious enough. Yeah. And I think that would cause some bad market issues. I don't think it would be the same as if we defaulted, no. but it would be, I think it would be it would bad. still have some issues. And yeah. that one coin would then have to be stored somewhere so top secret and so safe 
for the remainder of time because if it was ever stolen, this Just, individual now essentially owns fraction of the u.s but i digress just put it in the federal reserve banks um under yeah. like super far underground they have like gold storage of insane amounts yeah just all gold, gold bars all the gold that's supposed to back all the money of the u.s even though and like temperature regulated works. fucking rooms in the mile underground or something could you imagine the platinum coin melts because they mess up sorry <laughs> well then they'll just mint a new one <laughs> just going on a different tangent here. <laughs> um so Biden can actually also use the 14th Amendment to get rid of the debt ceiling entirely. And you're probably wondering, like, wait, I thought Congress could only do that. Well, in the 14th Amendment in Section 4, um, it says, quote, the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, dot, 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 shall not be questioned, end quote. And I want you all to remember that this is the quote that basically says you're a citizen if you're born here, or this is the amendment that says that. And this is a reconstruction era civil war amendment, Mm -hmm. which I think is quite fascinating that this is shoved in there. They didn't want to have to pay for all the damage caused during the civil war. So this was a great option to say, Mm -hmm. Hey, cause, and this is why I think there's a lot of legal implications for this. Cause we all know why this was added to the amendment. (laughs) Can the president really do this? Because it does go on with a comma, not a semicolon, to mention insurrections and the fact that neither this the state, i.e. the U.S., or any individual state is liable for anything caused under an insurrection. So they don't have to pay for anything that happened on January the 6th, but does it really mean that they don't have to pay the debt? Mm, I don't know, but... <laughs> <laughs> but some people are out there, legal scholars and stuff, say that having a debt ceiling at all is unconstitutional because of this. But Oh, that's fair. But some people, like the consensus is like, no, it, the debt ceiling is not unconstitutional because we still have it. Um, it's never been challenged to actually it, be brought up on a constitutionality point. Yeah, and that's interesting too that you mentioned that because Biden could technically invoke this section and get rid of the debt, debt ceiling altogether. And it's not really clear if it would be brought down in court. So... <laughs> Go off, Biden. Um, also, like, President Obama almost, like, had people look into this yes. and decided, no, we're not going to do it. And I think Bill Clinton did as well. It's very interesting. Bill Clinton almost minted a coin. Yeah, you almost <laughs> trillion dollars, baby. <laughs> Ironically, though, he's the only president to have a surplus budget. So, yes. Yeah, if you have a surplus and you don't have to worry about this as much. Yes. Um. So this third option is interesting. There are some legal papers out there that challenge three options a president has to legally abide by. So the president has to spend the amount Congress authorizes, has to tax the amount Congress authorizes, and it has to issue as much debt as Congress authorizes. So the papers argue that it becomes impossible for the president to follow these mandates if Congress lets the debt ceiling be breached. It's called the least constitutional option because the president breaking the third mandate about debt is the least dramatically illegal of all the options that the president could do in the event of a debt ceiling breach. That's fair. And that's kind of interesting, actually. Um, And lastly, uh, the Treasury could create something called, quote, a special purpose entity, end quote, to issue securities that are not Treasury bonds, which means they would not be subjected to the debt limit. You're probably wondering, what? What? But <laughs> but many states and cities actually do this to get around the state's yep. uh, debt limit, which is very fascinating to me. So, Terrell, I guess 
the question that comes from these different interesting options um, that the presidential administration could administer. Uh, should we just get rid of the debt limit or ceiling um, and keep having these fights? Yeah. Or keep having these fights, I mean? Like, should we keep having these fights down the line? Should we have a debt ceiling or should we get rid of it? It serves no purpose, right? Like, I think if we still had a sequester, then sure, we can keep the debt ceiling. Because at least in that situation, the reason the sequester was brought in is because we got so close to that ceiling, we were acquiring too much debt. Democrats and Republicans agreed for every budget, for every new spending, we'll cut some old spending, blah, 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 so we don't have to keep getting into this. And then Democrats realized this was a Republican way to cut every entitlement possible. It worked way too well, and now we're rebuilding because of it. Um, like then, yeah, keep the debt ceiling because now you at least have something to to leverage in both ways of we're not cutting this because we can cut this, blah, 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 blah. But really, truly, if our political system has broken down to this point that the Republican Party is really willing to hell marry it and say, not our problem anymore. We don't, we are not a majority in any of the branches. So why should we care knowing good and well that the filibuster exists in the Senate and they can block it like they just did? Then yeah, why the hell do we have a debt limit that is causing all of these potential questions and concerns and issues regarding the viability of the U.S. debt? And why are we potentially running ourselves into a space that could result in another downgrade of our credit rating? Which I would like to point out, if you you or I were this close to not paying over a trillion dollars worth of debt, we couldn't afford a house at this point. And I know we can't (laughs) apply personal investment to a country, but it is very frustrating knowing that All of this can happen because the U.S. has a blank check to do whatever it wants. But the minute it fails to like actually realize, oh, we need to put a zero into this blank check, um, it impacts you and I, and it makes it harder to buy a house. It, like I mentioned, if we were to go into default, recession, a recession would happen. But even more immediately, (laughs) we are on the we are on the precipice of eradicating childhood poverty because of the childhood tax credit. And if we go into a default, those payments automatically stop. Millions of families lose this, Mm -hmm. this ability to care for their children. Yeah. What the actual fuck? (laughs) Like, well, Republicans don't care about that, but unfortunately I know (laughs) I look like, like, it's a, it's annoying to think about, but like my perception of this is it's not going to happen. Like Democrats know the risk of it. They're not going to let that happen. But it, what other options do they have? Reconciliation. But They'll if- pass it. It's just what I'm more worried about is when we reach the debt ceiling or whatever, if we do like during President Biden's second term, fingers crossed he has a or second term. Midterms. Yeah, or after the midterms when he potentially does not have a majority in the Senate or, or the, the House. House. Because, <laughs> well, I mean, like, what? Yeah. Like, the last time Republicans, like, put up a fight against Obama with this, it was, like, government shutdown. It was, like, kind of scary for a second there. But when Trump was in office and the Democrats put up a fight, they ended up getting everything they wanted. Well, I guess my point is like the Republican Party is way different now. They are more willing to do whatever it takes 
to basically to be in power, to be in power. And if that means ruining the rest of the world, they will. And that's like, and I'm not, again, I'm like, I'm like not speaking on behalf of all Republicans because I know there's some out there. Uh, we need to stop playing that game. If you vote for them, you are. Oh, I'm com- saying if you, you vote for them. Complicit. But there are some Republicans that do vote Democrat now. I agree. But if and you that's vote who I'm for talking them, to, <laughs> you're complicit in what's happening currently. Oh, absolutely. And it's just like, I'm worried about that day because then what? I mean, Biden could use some of these options, I guess. But like, oh, please don't. it's more feasible for like we know for sure that doing it through Congress is the best way to do it. I'm like kind of on the side of getting rid of the debt ceiling through a democratic majority and reconciliation. Now just do it. Don't is, do some weird legal shit from the <laughs> executive branch. Just do it. God damn it. Is it more helpful to just let it happen? Like, is this one to of, default? Yeah. Is this no. one, of, is this one of those <laughs> moments of, because we don't know what's coming because we don't know what's happening. It's become such a political pawn that, one side has to blink and mm-hmm. it's going to be catastrophic. I a hundred percent believe it's going to be catastrophic. Let's blink before we <laughs> fall, please. I don't want but that to happen. Could it be like every government shutdown we've had in the last five years where both sides get to that point, neither side caves, and then it becomes a political gambit for a week until one of them blinks again, catastrophic. This is not the best outcome, but Maybe it finally stops this bull. Uh, this is a very explicit episode. Stops this bullshit that we've been experiencing for the last 10, 12 years yeah. of we're going to keep playing these games. Maybe we need, maybe I won't say we because that makes it seem like we as individuals in our country need to learn, but maybe our Congress needs to have that moment of we fucked up no. catastrophically. I disagree. I, I think we're at that point now because I, if we, if I don't the think Democrats, if the Democrats pass this, just like you mentioned, after the midterms, when they lose the Senate, we're right back here. I don't know. Mitch I, McConnell's trying to force it down, and Chuck Schumer, being the incompetent leader he is, can't wrangle enough votes to get what he wants because they're mad that he won't pass, he won't add something to the budget. And now we're back in the same conversation. Or the Democrats, like they've done, even under Obama, hold the debt ceiling hostage. Because they want a certain piece amended in the budget. Like maybe we just need to crawl. Maybe we need to jump. I um, granted it's into a pit of fire, but maybe I, we just need to jump. I love that in every episode you are able to sneak in a uh, <laughs> Chuck Schumer. How bad he's he is awful. Joke. He's just awful. The incompetent joke or whatever. It's funny. Um, I am on the record saying that I really disagree with that Terrell. Cause I think the consequences far outweigh the benefits. Plus I'm not really convinced that defaulting on our debt is going to make Congress like go, Oh shit, we actually have to get our act together now. I, yeah. I'm not convinced that happens. Might lead to us not voting Republicans in for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess American electorate, I just, I'm still not convinced like we they have there's such like a stranglehold of right wing like misinformation out there like it's not it's not going to change like people are pretty set in their ways and the defaulting on our debt isn't going to change what Tucker Carlson says on fucking Fox News might change some states though like it it might I guess like Idaho like there's some even if you're a Republican that is complicit in it but doesn't necessarily believe in all the crazy whack shit that's going on, like maybe you do see this and go, I might be voting Democrat for a while. You know what I mean? But like I'm just not convinced, Terrell. I'm not. I look, look, I 
my I think they should just get rid of it. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> that is the best option. I think I think that if you if we actually defaulted um America then would no longer like I think it takes our status of superpower away. Like I think we're done after that. I like it doesn't like if we on. I think we could become more of a Russia. You know how Russia's like quote a superpower <laughs> in quotes, you know? Hopefully because they have nukes and stuff. To this at all. I think that we would be kind of become that and we would be in like the shadow of China and others that are growing. I'd argue we already are, but I digress. I mean, but the difference is is that we are still the safest investment in the world yeah. and they are not. They are not. Like you can bet on us, even if we've made so many mistakes and all this bullshit, you can bet on this to put your money into. Like Japan, like 20% of their GDP is in our treasury. Like even if these countries think that we have done bad shit, which we have, (laughs) and if we've really fucked up, which which we we have, have. (laughs) and if there's a lot of things that other countries do that are way better than us, but- Which there are. There are totally so much of that. Like, (laughs) Like, I think if we defaulted on our debt, like- we are no longer in the status we are in, whether you think we're a superpower or not. Cause we are, we still are, but I just think, I just think the consequences just far outweigh benefits that may never be realized. Well, I guess in the words of president Biden, this is a bunch of malarkey. Oh, and we'll be right back. <laughs> All right, Caleb, take us on a tangent. Terrell, this one's to you. I'm concerned. On Thursday night, we are going to find out something big about Terrell. (laughs) He's looking at me like, what the hell? Oh, my God. (laughs) Why? So, Terrell, (laughs) I I just have to tell, I have to tell, I have to tell our audience this really wonderful thing that's happened. So, So, there's this organization in Boise called the Boise Young Professionals. Terrell, how would you describe the Boise Young Professionals? It's a a group of young professionals in Boise there. <laughs> it's from the, if it's, you can't tell, I really don't want to talk about this. It's created by the, by the, uh, is it chamber, the Metro chamber? Metro, of, yes, uh, the, the Boise Metro chamber of commerce. Yes. Correct. Um, and Terrell it's a group of up and coming professionals throughout Boise and in multiple industries who come together and share in professional development and connect on, um, just networking, mentorship, all that jazz. There. <laughs> I just want to say that I am a proud co-host of Terrell's <laughs> because he got nominated for the Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award with his work at both Boise State and a little bit of his podcast too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we will know if he if he wins the award on Thursday night. And I just got to say whether you win or not. Love you, man. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just excited to start putting in our description award nominated. Oh God, God, I'm starting to co-host. Regret. <laughs> Terrell Couch regrets are starting. To <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that threw me off. I don't even know what my tangent is this week. I was just gonna say, take us on a tangent. <laughs> I don't even know. Let's just end it there. No, you know? never. <laughs> My tangent was originally going to be like a rebuttal to everything that y'all said in the last episode. Because oh, he was pissed. <laughs> Jesus. He's like, where did context go? No context was given. <laughs> you guys played into a bunch of narratives. You guys literally argued against the narrative and then 
proceeded to play in the narrative. Tell me about that one. I don't even remember. I got to go look through my messages. But what my tangent's really about is football because obviously NFL is Ooh, on. How are the Lions doing? Let's not talk about it because <laughs> it's... They undefeated. I they mean, are I mean, 0 and 3. It's okay. My after. Hawks started very strong the first game and now they're 1 and 2. And I'm like, what the hell are we doing, guys? Well, here's the fun thing. And like Twitter had a whole moment about the Lions of our Lord and Savior must despise the existence of the Lions because they are the only team that can like go on for a run and then lose in the last 20 seconds. <laughs> As an FYI, week three, Ooh. we are playing the Baltimore Ravens at home. Oh, no. Right um, at, oh, in Michigan? Yep. Okay. And... I don't know if that helps. <laughs> we... It was... It was not the prettiest game in the first half. I think they were, it was 14-7 going into halftime, which isn't awful, but that's, like. That's only a one score. One score can be quickly. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Lions got the next score and then kicked a field goal. And we're up. And Against it was the Ravens? Like, yeah, like, oh. oh my God. I wasn't paying attention they to that. They tied and then they were up by a field goal. Well, everything went to crap immediately after that. Actually, no, they, I lied. It went, how did the final score go? No, they kicked two field goals. They didn't get a touchdown. They kicked two field goals. So they're up by like six points by then? Exactly. Okay, okay. And then what, did they lose by a point or something? Yep. The longest field goal in history. (laughs) How long was it? 66 yards. Oh my God. Yeah. It it hit. The bottom? Yeah. And bounced over and in. <laughs> no, it didn't. Yes. No, it didn't. Yes. Oh my god. Only can happen to the Lions. But that's not my rant. My rant is actually about Matt Stafford and how excited and just thrilled I am that he's playing for the LA Rams. Oh, and they're doing well. Beat Tom Brady um this <sighs> last game. That's the only time I'll root for the Rams. <laughs> Genuinely. They're in my league. I need Seattle to be better, but they're like dead last right now. But people are finally over this like, oh, he's just always been mediocre mediocre, or he was Detroit's problem. They're finally having a real honest conversation that he was a franchise quarterback. He deserved more respect than he got when he was with the Lions. Specifically from Hold the on, NFL. It's only been three games. Let's see what the playoffs Specifically look like. from the NFL. <laughs> who I I still can't get over this. In his second game with the um, LA Rams, he got an unnecessary roughness call for him. Like there was a... Oh, because um, oh, someone... Oh, yeah, yeah okay. there was a linebacker was like, that just... That? No, there was a linebacker that just took him out after he had already thrown the ball. Oh, God. And the refs threw it. That is the first time in his entire career that he's gotten that call. No. Yes. Are you saying that because that's what you perceive? No, that's because I looked it up because I said it and I was like, this can't be right. And then I went back and looked. <laughs> no. He has never gotten an unnecessary. Never. It's the Detroit Lions. And it's the like, Lions. It's that kind of thing where I'm just happy because he deserved a lot more respect than he got. He is a great quarterback. And even though I'm really sad seeing him succeed outside of the Lions, I'm just happy to see him succeed. And also, fuck the NFL <laughs> because... He I mean, deserved better. There's a lot of reasons to say fuck the NFL. But yeah, but in this it, moment, I'm still watching my team. <laughs> in this moment, that's the reason. And for the Lions, like this is what you get for having a coach that went on stage and said, "We're going to eat off their kneecaps." Like, of course, you're oh. losing this season. <laughs> you didn't deserve it to begin with. Also, Goff is just a terrible quarterback, and clearly, we made that trade. He was for just... Stafford, not for us. Yeah, Goff. Goff is always interesting to me because, like. 
I don't know, like every time I watched him play, commentators would be like, he's so good. And he's I'm not. like, mm, I don't know if I'm seeing the same thing you are. He had really good receivers who he would good, catch things. He just had a good team around him. And you know what? A lot of people are good with a good team around him. I'm not saying Jared Goff's bad. He can play as a starting quarterback in the NFL, and you've got to be good to do that. Barely. But, <laughs> I mean, even if you're correct, Terrell, I just have to say one thing to God himself or himself. God, if you're listening, Detroit, the Detroit Lions, you have made into the most average team possible. Yeah. If you want to keep it that way, I, st- I need to start seeing some wins. We got to win. <laughs> but not enough for them to be good. Just enough for them to be like super aggressively average. <laughs> I'm not even going to go that far. I'm going to speak out to um, the Ford family, if you're listening. Call Cam Newton. Call Colin Kaepernick. I don't care. There are good, amazing, useful quarterbacks out there that represent the team better, that more people would probably buy into if you really are doing this for a a line item budget. Make a pitch for a better quarterback if you really want to see the Lions go far. Stop picking these like meh quarterbacks, especially because let's be real, if Stafford was still there, Stafford would have led. Golf would have been the backup, and we would still be having the same conversation about how he's not good and why is he even our backup. So that's all I gotta say about Colin the Kaepernick is good. Yeah, like, he got blackballed because he had the nerve to say that uh, this country hates black people. Yeah, go figure. Exactly. I, <laughs> well, seriously, somebody needs to hire him. If you have a terrible quarterback, why just get get Kaepernick if he's open, of course. Yeah. On um, that note, though. There's something inherently sweet about Trevor Lawrence sucking so bad in the NFL right now. I don't know what it I is. I didn't really keep up with Trevor Lawrence. Can you give a quick rundown? Quick Just history. Like this all-star quarterback with Clemson. Everyone loves him. Oh, yeah. Okay. He ends up kind of being a little bit problematic. Obviously, he goes to Clemson, so he's a little bit more conservative-leaning. I don't care about that part. He just said some really like harmful things. And then just thought he was hot shit, went into the NFL, and he's thrown the most interceptions of any quarterback in NFL history (laughs) within three games. He's thrown six interceptions in three games. So there's something just like inherently pleasing about him getting shoved back on his ass and of like, I'm happy that you made it to the NFL because you did deserve it, but also stop thinking you're hot shit. Like you have some growing to do. Yeah. That's okay. I think that's like, that's really fascinating to me. Like, because some quarterbacks come from college and they're just like suddenly super good. Like mm-hmm. um, Lamar Jackson, for example, he's a great quarterback great for the Ravens and he came right out of college and he's good. Like he's still good. And then you have like, I feel like this is more the case, but you have a lot of like really good quarterbacks in college that come to the NFL and they're not super good right away. Mm-hmm. But then after two or three years, they like start to really get good. Yep. And I'm curious about, Lawrence. I think he'll get good. Two or three years. From he now. just needs to own. Like, he got some growing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the NFL is just so much faster than college. Like, so much faster. That's, that's kind of an interesting change when you're actually in the game spirit. So, and there's a lot less protections. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck on your nomination, Terrell. Why are we talking about this still? <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerously likely at gmail.com be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes i'm caleb and i'm terrell and we're dangerously likely to see you next week